started. Okay, so uh, we're going through Book of Proverbs topically. We're not going, you know, not getting into any great detail or anything. And um, I have, uh, as you know, titled this "Landmarks Along the Path of Life." There are certain things in Proverbs that um, the writer of Proverbs uh, highlights for us as we travel through this life onto the next. And I'm just—that's what I'm doing. I'm just simply highlighting. And the first thing, of course, that we're covering is is authority. And uh, Proverbs 1.7 says, uh, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And so we already talked about the fear of the Lord. And um, I didn't go into a lot of detail on that. I I had taught on that topic once before. Um, But it's simply uh, love God, respect God, respect His Word, be obedient. Then uh, we're now talking about that authority. There should be an H in there. Not authority, it's authority. But there should be, uh, talking about the authority that's ordained by God, in other words, man's authority, and we've already talked about parents, how we should honor mom and dad, uh, how that's very important. It's very very important for the health of a nation. We looked at that a little bit. Uh, very important for the health of a, of a son or a daughter. Uh, the exhortation to um, honor mom and dad is, is, is critical, very important. And uh, we see even our own country that uh, we're, you know, we're, we're seeing the effects of that. Now I want to talk about uh, probably a very controversial uh, topic, especially among um, Christians or, Bi- or Bible uh, believers. And I want to talk about uh, human government, talk about human government. And uh, I'm not going to get political. That's not my intention. I just want to simply present to you some biblical principles. Okay? Uh, some biblical principles as far as our attitude toward government and so forth and so on. And uh, God has ordained uh, government, uh, kings, princes, rulers, presidents, emperors, however you want to however you want to put it. And uh, if you go through the book of Proverbs, it's, it's full, of, full of things in regards to uh, exhortations about our government and the authority and our relationship with them. And before I go any further, I need to stop and pray. So let's do that. Father in heaven, we come to you, Lord. And uh, Lord, this, this is a topic that, uh, my goodness, there's so much controversy, so much arguing, so much this and that, back and forth. And I just simply want to present uh, just very plainly some principles that we can learn here uh, from your Bible in regards to our attitude as, as far as government is concerned. And no, there is not a perfect government on this planet, nor are there any perfect leaders or rulers or kings on this planet either. The only true and perfect ruler would be your son, Jesus Christ. And one day he is going to come and he is going to establish his kingdom. And it will be a kingdom that is a a righteous kingdom, a holy kingdom. But until then, Father, we have to deal with what we have to deal with. I just simply also want to lift up these names that I mentioned earlier. I uh, pray, Lord God, that your grace would be sufficient, that you would bring about healing, Father, that you would work out all the insurances. And I, I, I also want to thank you that they were able to find Sonia, uh, a place where she can uh, um, be, uh, get the attention that she needs to help her to, to be able to uh, get back the function of her body again. And I pray, Lord God in heaven, that you would uh, see, see to all of her needs 
needs and, and help her to heal quickly. I thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so government, kings and princes and stuff like that. And again, I, you know, I'm, I'm not going to stand up here and get all political on you and all that kind of stuff. That's not my intention. But God has ordained uh, kings and rulers to be governors and stewards over nations and over peoples. Proverbs 20 verse 8 says, A king that sitteth in the throne of judgment scattereth away all evil with his eyes. And if he's a good and righteous king, that's, that's really what they're supposed to do. They're up to uphold the law, to keep peace in the land. Uh, if, if they're a good king, then they will, they will do that. Proverbs chapter 20 verse 26 says, A wise king scattereth the evil and bringeth the wheel over them. So a good king, a good leader, a good ruler will, you know, he'll uh, not only uphold the laws of the land, but he himself will obey those laws of the land. And he'll see that those uh, laws that uh, bring about, um, you know, peace in a society and things like that are upheld. At least that's, that's what they're supposed to do. We don't always see that, but that's what they're supposed to do. Uh, turn to Romans chapter 13. This is probably the most well-known passage as far as, as this is concerned. This is what the Apostle Paul wrote in Romans chapter 13, starting in verse 1. He wrote, Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. So God establishes those powers. The powers that be are ordained of God. Whosoever therefore resisteth the power, resisteth the ordinance of God, and they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. So we can't have our anarchy. I mean, God has ordained it that, you know, that there should be peace and, and order in a society, and that's why there is this government. The anarchists and the folks out there who are causing all the trouble, they're the ones who are out of, uh, who are out of the will of God. He says here, for rulers are not a terror to good works, but to the evil. He says, wilt thou then not be afraid of the power? Now remember, when Paul was writing this, you know, Rome was in in power and I believe if not Nero you know at least you know the the Caesar that was in power um, you know I don't know if he was a good guy or a bad guy personally but you know we know about some of the Roman emperors and stuff he says here for rulers are not a terror to good works but to evil wilt thou not then be afraid of the power do that which is good and thou shalt have praise of the same for he is the minister of God to thee for good but if thou do that which is evil be afraid for he beareth not the sword in vain, for he is a minister of God, a revenger to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. So again, you know, the governmental authority is to keep peace in society, it's to uphold the laws, and then if there's any lawbreakers, and it's the it's the um, government's responsibility to make sure that um, those who break the law suffer the consequences of breaking that law. So God has ordained kings and rulers to be stewards over nations. Also, a good king, according to Proverbs, a good king will surround themselves with wise and righteous counselors. Proverbs 25.4 says, Take away the dross from the silver, and there shall come forth a vessel for the finer. Take away the wicked from before the king, and his, and his throne shall be established in righteousness. Uh, one of the indications of a wise leader is that they will surround themselves with very capable individuals from which they can receive counsel from. In fact, they'll, they'll choose individuals uh, that are exceptional, even more so than they themselves are. 
because you know they they want to, to surround themselves with good counselors. Proverbs sixteen thirteen to fourteen says, "Righteous lips are the delight of kings, and they love him that speaketh right. The wrath of the king is as messengers of death, but a wise man will pacify it." So again, you know, if if uh, if a ruler, whether it be a president, a king, an emperor, or whatever, if they're worth their salt, then they're going to surround themselves with wise individuals, folks that will will help them. Uh, govern and uphold the laws and stuff. Uh, you know, there's that fellow by the name of Hush. Anybody know who Hushai the Archite is? No, he's one of those guys in the Bible that you don't hear much about, but Hushai the Archite was a counselor of King David. And when King David was being chased out of Jerusalem by his son Absalom, Hushai wanted to go with David, and David said, nope, you stay here, and you... Um, be there with Absalom because Ahithophel, who was one of my counselors, has rebelled against me. This is okay. This is a paraphrase. He says, "You be there, and you you um, you know you you go against the council, whatever Ahithophel gives to Absalom." And Hushai did just that. He was a very very good counselor, very worthy man in David's in David's uh, administration. And so, if uh, if a ruler is worth his salt, he's going to definitely surround himself. With, with individuals who are, uh, you know, pretty sharp, pretty sharp. I mean, how many times have we seen uh, people who hold the presidential office and yet they don't surround themselves with exceptional people? But at the same time, we've seen presidents who do surround themselves with exceptional people. So that's just a that's just a good leadership thing to do. Uh, something else is a wise king will be a blessing to the land and the people he governs. A wise king will be a blessing to the land and the people he governs. Proverbs 20, 20 verse 28 says, Mercy and truth preserve the king, and his throne is upholden by mercy. I mean, when a nation has a good leader, that nation prospers. It, ju- it just does. And uh, when a nation doesn't have a good leader, then that nation g- generally doesn't prosper. I had I had a had a government teacher one time tell me he says he says it all rises and falls on the leadership. It all rises and falls on the leadership. If you've got poor leadership, then the nation will be poor. If you have good leadership, then the nation will prosper. And I believe that's true. I I think we've seen that. Proverbs 16.10 says, A divine sentence is in the lips of the king. His mouth transgresseth not in judgment. Yeah, if he's a righteous king. Yeah, if he's a righteous king, if he's a moral king, or an ethical king, that's true. But is that always true? Is that always true? Not necessarily. A corrupt and wicked king will be a curse to the land, just as a good king will be a blessing to the land. And he'll also be a, a curse to the people that he governs. Proverbs 29.4 says, The king by judgment established the land, but he that receiveth gifts overthroweth it. Now what does that mean by receiving gifts? Bribery. Right? And how many times have we seen elected officials swayed by bribery more than you want to really think about more than you really want to think about even even the bribery of nations have entered into politics 
even more than we want to admit. Proverbs 29.12 says, If a ruler hearkeneth to lies, all his servants are wicked. You know, if a, if a, if a king or an emperor or a, what are some of the uh, premier, I mean, if these folks aren't up and up, if they're not honest, guess what kind of people they're going to surround themselves with? That same kind of, what is that old saying, birds of a feather? Proverbs 16.12 says, It's an abomination to kings to commit wickedness, for the throne is established by righteousness. That's the ideal. But unfortunately, sometimes the throne isn't established by righteousness, is it? Sometimes the person who's sitting on that throne is a wicked individual, is a wicked king. That's just, that's just the way it is. But the main thing is this, whether a land has a good king or an evil king, the Lord is still overseeing everything. And sometimes that's hard for us <laughs> to see or believe, but it's true. It's true. Proverbs 21.1 says, The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord as the rivers of water. He turneth, turneth it whithersoever he will. So in Irregardless of how crazy it is, irregardless of how corrupt it might appear, uh, God is overseeing it. God's watching over it. God sees what's going on, and we don't always we don't always understand why things go the way they go. We live in a broken world. We live in a broken world, but uh, God's still the governor of the universe, and one of these days. His son will sit on the throne. His son will sit on the throne. Now, I don't know about you, but, you know, as I get older, I start to form certain political viewpoints. Is that true of you? Or are you pretty neutral? It's very difficult to stay neutral. Very difficult to stay neutral. I think we all have opinions on how society should be governed. And sometimes that opinion can get very combative or sophisticated or complicated. You know, Proverbs warns in Proverbs 24, 21 through 22, he says, My son, fear thou the Lord and the king, and meddle not with them that are given to change, for their calamity shall rise suddenly, and who knoweth the ruin of them both? Now, those who are given to change are kind of like the wind, a flag in the wind. Whatever way the wind is blowing, that's the way the flag goes. Now, do you think we've got folks in the political realm that's like that? Yes. Yeah, we do. Yeah, we do. Ecclesiastes, turn to, that's a hard word, Ecclesiastes, turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 8. Ecclesiastes chapter 8. Let's look at these uh, first five verses in Ecclesiastes. Maybe if I practice saying the word, I'll get it down. Verse 1, who is as the wise man, and who knoweth the interpretation of a thing? Man's wisdom maketh his face to shine, and the boldness of his face shall be changed. 
He says, I counsel thee to keep the king, king commandment, and in that regard, and that in regard of the oath of God, be not hasty to go out of his sight, stand not an evil thing, for he doeth whatsoever pleaseth him. Where the word of a king is, there is power, and who may say unto him, What doest thou? Whoso keepeth the commandment shall feel no evil thing, and a wise man's heart, and this is the line I want you to look at, and a wise man's heart discerneth both time and judgment. There are folks in the political realm that are given to change. They just they're like flags in the wind, they'll blow whatever whatever direction the wind is, because they're not really concerned about the good of the land, they're concerned about keeping their office pushing their own personal agendas, making themselves rich, increasing their influence. And these political types are like chameleons. You know, they just change color whenever it suits them. So, it behooves us as good citizens to be aware of this. To be aware of this and, and, and not have our heads stuck in the sand. And just be aware of this that goes on because we're a land that has, irregardless of this, of your opinion of this last election, we're a land that we have the right to vote. So when we do vote, do your homework, right? Do your homework. And be wary of those who are given to change. Be wary of those who are given to change. That's not too political, is it? That's just common sense, isn't it? That's just common sense. I guess the fundamental principle is that we try to be good citizens obeying the laws of the land as much as our conscience guided by God's word will allow us to be is that a reasonable statement is that a reasonable statement ideally for us would be a government that was guided by biblical principles of judgment and justice Proverbs 8, 13 through 15 says, The fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride, and arrogancy, and the evil way and the forward mouth do I hate. Counsel is mine and sound wisdom. I, I am understanding. I have strength. By me kings reign and princes decree justice. By me princes rule and nobles, even all the judges of the earth. So ideally, if we had a government that hated evil and pride and arrogancy and did fear the Lord, we'd have a pretty good government, wouldn't we? I think we would. But is that, is, is that really the government that we have or any nation has? No, not really. But that's ideal. That's ideal. Now, I came across an article sometime back, and I'm just going to read you this article. Again, I'm not being political, but I thought it was a very good article. And the article starts off, Our founding fathers embarked upon a unique way of governance that is embodied in our Constitution. And uh, the name of the article is Our Ageless Constitution, 
written by a couple of fellows by the name of David uh, Stedman and uh, uh, G. Lewis. So this was written back way back in 1987. Okay, so it's way before any of what's going on today. They wrote, Our Constitution embodied a unique idea. Nothing like it had ever been done before. The power of the idea was in the recognition that people's rights are granted directly by the Creator, not by the state, and that the people then and only then grant rights to government. The concept is so simple, yet so very fundamental fundamental and far-reaching. He wrote, uh, America's founders embraced a previously unheard of political philosophy which held that people are empowered by their creator with certain unalienable rights. This was the statement of guiding principle for the new nation and as such had to be translated into a concrete charter for the government. The Constitution of the United States of America, America became that charter. Other forms of government, past and present, rely on the state as the grantor of human rights. America's founders, however, believed that a government made up of imperfect people exercising power over other people should possess limited powers. Through their constitution, they wished to secure the blessings of liberty for themselves and for their posterity by limiting the powers of government. Through it, they delegated to government only those rights they wanted it to have, holding to themselves all powers not delegated by the Constitution. They even provided the means for controlling those powers they had granted to the government. This was the unique American idea. Many problems we face today result from a departure from this basic concept. Now remember, this was written in 1987. Gradually, other ideas have influenced legislation which has reversed the roles and given government greater and greater power over individuals. Early generations of Americans pledged their lives to the cause of individual freedom and limited government and warned over and over again that eternal vigilance should be required to preserve that freedom for posterity. I thought that was a pretty good article pretty well sums up what our country started on. Proverbs 14.28 says, In the multitude of people is the king's honor, but in the want of people is the destruction of the prince. In essence, in that little verse, is exactly what this man stated. Is what this man stated. In our former government, we have the right to vote and even speak out against injustice in the government. But as the above article warns us, there are those in high places who are trying to take that away from us. And it's for this reason that Paul wrote in 1 Timothy 2.1, I exhort therefore that first of all supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings, and for all that are authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. I'm wondering if we're not in the situation we're in today because God's people didn't pray as they should have prayed. I don't know. You know, our government provides uh, us a right to speak out against a government that's not upholding the Constitution. And that's not unchristian to do so. 
And there are some folks that teach that, that well, that's just not Christian. You, you're not allowed to, to speak up like that. Now, I think it's not Christian if you don't speak up against un- injustice. I think it's unchristian if you don't speak out against law-breaking and hypocrisy and corruption. I mean, Jesus said we're to be the salt of the earth. And if you don't speak up against injustice and corruption, how are you being the salt? What does it say? Then it's good for nothing but to be cast forth and trodden under the, under the feet of men. And unfortunately, that's what's going on. Justice and such is being trodden under the foot of men because maybe the salt of the earth isn't being the salt of the earth. Proverbs, uh, it gives us, you know, our, our governments gives us the opportunity to speak out against injustice and corruption being perpetrated upon the people. Proverbs 25.15 says, By long forbearing is a prince persuaded and a soft tongue breaketh the bone. You can speak up. It's not unchristian not to speak up. Proverbs 21.3 says to do justice and judgment is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. You know, if people fail to speak out against injustice, then that people will be held accountable. That people will be held accountable. Proverbs 24.10-12 through 12 says, If thou faint in the day of adversity, thy strength is small. If thou forbear to deliver them that are drawn unto death and those that are ready to be slain, if thou sayest, Behold, we knew it not, doth not he that pondereth the heart consider it? And he that keepeth thy soul doth not he know it? And shall not he render to every man according to his works? It's the reason why people... It's, it, it, <clears throat> how am I going to word this? It's because people don't speak out against corruption and injustice that corruption and injustice has free reign so it's not unchristian to speak up but you do it decently in an order right? we've been given a means to do it and we also know that the wicked one has great influence in in that uh, in that authority that God has ordained Proverbs 29.2 says that's why we pray. It's a spiritual battle. Proverbs 29.2 says when the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. And that's true. We've seen that. But when the wicked beareth rule, the people mourn. And we've seen that too. We've seen that too. So our attitude towards God's authority is crucial. Because sometimes man's authority um, thumbs its nose at God's authority. Sometimes. I mean, we've seen things like that. I mean, we've seen Nazism and communism and even capitalism. Now, you know, folks like to play the blame game. Well, if, 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 if God set all this up, then God's to blame. God's to blame. 
No, he he ordained the system. He ordained the government. But it was the wickedness of man that took what God ordained, and that's why we had a Hitler or a Stalin or whatever. And I, I mentioned those two guys because, and there's others. But it, you know, just just with me, those are the two big ones with, with my age, my generation. Ecclesiastes, there's that word again, five eight. He says, "If thou seest the oppression of the poor, and violent perverting of judgment." And justice in a province, he says, marvel not at the matter. For he that is higher than the highest regardeth, and there be higher than they. Now let me ask you a question. You don't think God sees all of the corruption and the injustice and the violence that goes on? He does. He does. But mankind has a way of taking what God has ordained and making a real mess out of it. A real mess out of it. And um, in time, the Hitlers fall. In time. You know, the Lord Jesus Christ acknowledged human governance, didn't he? There's that famous line, Render therefore unto Caesar which is Caesar's, and that which is God unto God's. I had a, we had a, I won't call him a friend, we had a Christian acquaintance who refused to pay his taxes. Well, guess where he ended up? Yeah. No, you pay your taxes. You pay your taxes. I mean, even Jesus submitted to human authority. Even though that human authority was ruled by wicked men. Jesus said in Matthew 23, 1, Then spake Jesus to the multitude and to his disciples, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. All therefore whatsoever they bid you observe, that observe and do. But do not ye after their works, for they say and do not. For they bind heavy burdens and grievous to be borne and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. They were elitists. They were elitists. He says in the matters of the law, the people were to observe. But he says, don't practice their hypocrisy. Don't practice their corruption. Didn't Jesus speak against the hypocrisy of the leadership? That's what got him in trouble. He also spake against their corruption. Uh, Peter wrote to a persecuted church in his letter, First Peter, and this is when Nero was the was the emperor. But he wrote to encourage these brethren, and he referred to the Lord Jesus Christ as the example of someone who suffered at the hands of a wicked wicked leadership turn to 1 Peter chapter 2 I'm up here reading this stuff you guys need to see this for yourself I just get lazy and just go ahead and read it 
1 Peter chapter 2, starting in verse 19. For this is thankworthy if a man for conscience toward God endure grief, suffering wrongfully. And we know of folks that have done just that. Right here in this nation. For what glory is it if when ye be buffeted for your faults, ye shall take it patiently? But if when ye do well and suffer for it, ye take it patiently, this is acceptable with God. For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example, that ye should follow his steps, who did no sin, neither was guile found in his, found in his mouth, who when he was reviled, reviled not again, when he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously, who his own self bare our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sin should live under righteousness, by whose stripes we are healed." We were healed. You see, the submission of Christ was for an eternal purpose. And I think sometimes we lose sight of that when we get all worked up about what's going on sometimes. As far as eternity is concerned, is it really worth getting all worked up over on some of these things? I mean, even Peter had run-ins with the wicked leadership. When, uh, just long story short, in Acts chapter 4, verse 18, the leadership told Peter and John, stop preaching about the resurrection of Jesus. Stop preaching, you know, stop uh, teaching about the, the, in the name of Jesus. Just, just stop it. Don't do it anymore. Did they do that? No, they didn't, did they? Because they had a higher authority. Acts 1.8, Jesus himself said, Witness, You are witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem, Judea, and all Samaria, Samaria unto the uttermost part of the earth. So they were acting under a higher authority than the wicked leadership that was telling them, don't, don't preach Jesus. Why is that? Because there was an eternal issue. There was an eternal issue. It was the issue of men's souls. Peter says to them, whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than unto God, judge ye, for we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. He said, you guys may tell us not to speak in the name of Jesus, but we can't do that. Because the souls of men are at stake. And God has sent us to be witnesses to Jesus Christ. Is she criticizing everything I'm saying over here? Okay. <laughs> Um, when man's authority and God's authority is in conflict that's where a lot of people have issues but you can you can render submission but not obedience to man's authority you can render submission, but not obedience to man's authority. Obedience is related to one's conduct, and it's conditional. Submission is an attitude of the heart, and it involves the will. You can submit yourself to the consequences... 
to you know to the this, to the disobeying man's authority when man's authority overreaches God's authority does that make sense because that's what happens with a lot of folks like um, Watchman Nee in China he would refuse he, re- he refused to not preach the gospel and the Chinese put him in prison but he still preached the gospel he submitted himself to the penalty of the government but he remained obedient to God think of the three, th- uh, three friends of Daniel Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah they found themselves in the very same situation didn't they when Nebuchadnezzar built that big colossal golden idol everybody was to bow down and worship this idol and everybody did except for these three men Daniel 3.16 Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego that's the Babylonian names of these guys answered and said to the king O Nebuchadnezzar we are not careful to answer thee in this matter if it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace and he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods nor worship the golden Im- image which thou hast set up. So what happened to these three young men? They got pitched into the furnace. They submitted to the penalty of man's authority while being obedient to God. And of course, we know the story. They were delivered, weren't they? But sometimes God doesn't deliver his people. Sometimes God doesn't deliver his people like that. But these three men and their disobedience to Nebuchadnezzar, which was totally, you know, out of line. No, we're not going to worship your false idols. We're going to worship the holy God. They did submit themselves to that, that penalty. Does that make sense? Am I making sense with what I'm saying here? Because you're all kind of staring at me like you're trying to process it. Jeff, I think we're all convicted that we don't follow God like we should. That's probably what we're looking at. You. It could be. I know I am. Sorry. When man's authority overreaches God's authority then man's authority may be submitted to in regards to the penalty but disobedience to that overreach is permitted by God but this is where the lines often you make sure (laughs) you make sure it's God's command that you're standing on and not what you believe is your personal right to wear pink shoelaces if I want to. Does that make sense? Make sure you're standing on a biblical principle. And you know what? There's a day coming on this planet when um, all of the world's going to have to make a decision whether to receive the mark of the beast or not receive the mark of the beast. If you don't receive the mark of the beast, you're going to be martyred. If you do receive the mark of the beast, then you're going to get to buy and sell and pretty much, well, live your life 
but under strict control. Well, that's uh, there's the there is the eternal consequences that I'm talking about. See, sometimes we take the temporal things and we try to attach it to eternal things, and it's not always that way. It's not always that way. Now, let me ask you another question. Back, and this is happening. This is going to happen. Will everybody in that time receive the mark? No, there won't, will there? No, in fact, Revelations chapter 6, 9 through 11 tells me that there's going to be folks who will refuse that mark, lose their lives, but gain heaven. But gain heaven. Here's another example of uh, some folks who went contrary to man's authority because God's authority was greater. Remember the midwives in the days of Moses? They were ordered by Pharaoh to do what? Kill all the male children that were born, right? Did they? No, they didn't. Because I believe it says that they feared God. No, they didn't. Exodus 1.17, But the midwives feared God, and did not as the king of Egypt commanded them, but saved the men children alive. They weren't going to commit murder. They weren't going to commit abortion, if you will. Because they knew that was against God's law. I mean, it wasn't written for them yet. But they knew it was contrary to what God's will was. And so they refused to do that. And the king of Egypt called for the midwives and said unto them, Why have ye done this thing, and have saved the men children alive? And the midwives said unto Pharaoh, Because the Hebrew women are not as the Egyptian women, for they are lively, and are delivered ere the midwives come in unto them. Then it says in verse 20, Therefore God dealt well with the midwives, and the people multiplied and waxed very mighty. Because these midwives feared God, they didn't do what Pharaoh wanted them to do by killing the male children. God honored them for their faithfulness and for their courage. I think this is kind of what Jesus said to his disciples. He says, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. Be ye therefore wise as serpents and harmless as doves. I don't know about you, but I think this was pretty sharp on these gals' part. Well, you know, they delivered before we get there. That's pretty sharp. See, I think sometimes God's people react to things that the government mandates instead of seeking God's wisdom and how to respond to some of these things. And that's why that's where we get ourselves in all of this turmoil. Again, referring back to Daniel and his friends, as far as the eating of the king's meat, which was a violation to the Hebrew diet, and they didn't want to eat the king's meat because it was a violation. So what did Daniel and his friends do? Did they go out and ransack businesses and and tip over police chariots? They didn't do any of that, did they? No, they didn't do any of that. What they did was, is they made an appeal to the authority. 
Daniel 1.8, But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself the portion of the king's meat. Therefore he requested of the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. He went through proper channels. Of course, that first petition was turned down because the, the official was frightened for his own life. He says, if I let you do that, I'm gonna, my head's going to roll. So what did Daniel do? He said, well, fellas, I'm sorry, there's nothing I can do about this. No, what did he do? He simply went up the chain of command. And he went up to the chain of command and, and he gave this higher authority a, a, a reasonable plan to operate. He says, hey, let us eat let us eat vegetables. Well, I'll just read it. So he consented to them in this matter and proved them ten days, and at the end of ten days their countenance appeared fairer and fatter in flesh than all the children which should eat the portion of the king's meat. He came to him, hey, can we have an alternative diet? And after a certain number of days, if, if we're not looking good, then we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. The guy says, okay, let's try that. And that alternative diet for these Hebrew children, they were healthier than the other folks. See, sometimes we behave so hastily in such matters, we make such rash judgments, we follow by rash reactions, that it just makes the situation worse. There's just a proper way of dealing with this authority. Proper way of dealing with authority. First Peter 2.17 says, Honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. I don't know how many times on my, in my own job, when I used to work for a living, if there was a policy, if there was something that just wasn't good or wasn't efficient fortunately we had supervisors that we could go to and we could show them here's a better way or here's a different way to approach this so instead of having a sit down instead of you know shutting down the equipment and stand there with our arms folded we appealed to the authority in a very respectful way they listened to it and they said you know what that is a, that is a better way to go Does that make sense? You know, so, we're so quick to grab our guns. Or what is it? The, the, pit, the pitchforks and the, and, the, and the torches. And we want to storm whatever. With decently and in order of five Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. You know, it always... Well, just a few years ago... Just over here in Kansas, there was that um, abortion doctor. Can't remember his name, huh? Yeah, he was killed right there in the church. Somebody shot him right there in the church. Now, come on. How did that make the church look? See what I'm saying? Or what was it? It was popular 10, 15 years ago to blow up clinics. 
That's not how it's, I'm just saying that's just not the biblical way of approaching things. We have to respect the authority. We have to respect the authority. Sometimes, no, we don't agree with it. But there are proper ways to handle these situations. Um, Philippians 2.14 says, Do all things without murmurings and disputings within the church, that is, that ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights in the world, holding forth the word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. You know, we're to be the best citizens that we can be. We should uphold the laws of the land as long as they're biblically righteous. We should respect the leadership. Um, I've done it, and I'm sorry for doing it. But uh, you guys know, if, if, you, if you're on no, social media... Our current president is getting some bashing, isn't he? And some of it is pretty nasty and mean. But he is the president. And so, being the president, you may not agree with the way he's running the show... But that does not give you the right to speak disrespectfully of him. I know that's a hard pill to swallow. Our previous president, they did, they did the same thing with him, didn't they? That man couldn't do anything right. And the president before him. Now, to me, it's not so much a reflection on that particular president as it is a reflection upon this nation. We've become a nation of scorners and mockers and showing disrespect. And you remember what I talked about last week as far as using the example of the sexual revolution? Well, there was also another revolution that took place when they started taking prayer and the Bible out of schools. What our nation is, the attitude of our nation now is the product of no longer honoring God. And I have a whole list of steps that prove that. When we took prayer and the Bible out of schools, so went our respect for authority. That's why it's so important having that fear of the Lord, getting that settled first. Because when a nation doesn't honor God, 
that same nation is not going to honor its leadership. It's just inevitable. It's just inevitable. So as believers in Jesus Christ, we have to learn to engage in politics in such a way that brings glory to God, upholds righteousness and justice, preserves the testimony of the church, and we should try to be the best citizens that we can possibly be with our consciences guided by God's word. And that includes praying for a president that you may not really like. That's kind of tough, isn't it? But that's what the Bible says. That's what the Bible says. May not agree with them. May not like them. But it's pretty clear we need to pray for them. Acts 24, 16, I'll leave you with this. And herein do I exercise myself to have always a conscience void of offense toward God and toward men. You know when Paul said that? He said that before the Sanhedrin who was seeking to condemn him to death. The very same body of leadership that condemned and crucified the Lord Jesus Christ. The same body that he was part of. Yep, at one time. So being... We need to be the best citizens that we can with our consciences being guided by God's word being void of offense before God and before men okay any rebuttals <laughs> I don't know if I can being the best citizens that we can be with our consciences guided by God's word always seeking to a uh, be void of offense toward God and toward men. Acts twenty four sixteen. That's not always easy. For God so loved the world, right? He sure did. That he gave his only begotten son. And I, I, I know, I, I I know, because I you know, I look at the media and I watch the news and I do all that kind of stuff. And I have to admit I get angry at times. I get angry at times because of, because of the direction that certain things go and the policies that are made and the things that are going on, you know, I do, I get angry at times. But uh, at the same time, I've got to remember who's really in control, who's really in charge. And we all know where this is headed. So I need to be careful that I, can, I maintain that testimony for the Lord's sake. And keep in mind that there is an eternal purpose that's a lot more important than my right to hang on to a pistol or whether or not I want to wear pink shoelaces or whatever. I got to always keep that in mind that there is an eternal purpose that is greater than the foolishness that's going on around us. That's that's me. Isn't it also true that throughout history that 
God's always used hateful, awful leaders to pull his people back to work. Yep, he has. Yeah, yeah. Nebuchadnezzar is a good example of that. Yeah, that's, that's exactly true. You know, maybe this country needs a good shaking up. Yeah. Ron, were you going to say something? I'm not sure it, uh, well, Ecclesiastes 8 and 11. And, uh, I'm trying to look it up to see how the spirit is correct, but it says something that because of the sentence of people work is not a spirit, it is fully set in the heart of man to do evil. Yep. That's, that's right. Yeah, because, um, because God in His mercy and grace doesn't clobber, doesn't bring down judgment, doesn't mean that one day He's going to say enough is enough. I mean, if you read your Bible, what is it that He says about some of the nations that their sin hasn't fully... Hasn't reached, uh, yeah. Hasn't reached the full. So God, in His mercy and grace, He, you know, He gives nations and peoples plenty of time to repent. But the cup at one time becomes full, and God says, "Okay, that's enough. That's enough." So, yep, you're absolutely right. All right, anything else? If not, yeah. In a way, I was looking forward to teaching this lesson. In a way, I wasn't. Because <laughs> uh, I, I have my own personal opinions that I try to try to keep out of that. Which is not always easy. So, okay. Jeremy, it's good to see you. So, we'll go ahead and...